الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول محمد وعلى آله وصحابه معين أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم كتاب أنزلناه إليك مبارك ليدبروا آياته وقال تعالى أفلا يتدبرون القرآن أم على قلوب أقفالها وقال أفلا يتدبرون القرآن ولو كان من عند غير الله لوجدوا فيه اختلافا كثيرا وقال وهذا كتاب أنزلناه مبارك فاتبعوه واتقول علكم ترحمون So my dear brothers and sisters, inshallah, today I'm going to teach uh, the theory of coherence of the Quran as it has been developed by Mawlana Ahmedin Farahi rahimullah ta'ala. In, uh, in, the, in, in the beginning of the 20th century, you know, we have got uh, you know, this uh, man because which who I want to introduce you in more detail because most people somehow they don't know him really. And Mawlana Shibri Nomani who wrote, who, who wrote an introduction of the book of Mawlana Farahi, he said there is a kulliya. There is a major rule that you know, anybody who is uh, you know, qualified, he never can remain unknown. People, if people are expertise, they are always known. But he said, from every kulliya, from every major rule, there is exception, there are also exceptions from this kulliya. Mawla Farahi, though he again an amazing person, but somehow he was not known to the people. Because the person preferred to be you know, unknown, obscure, in a village working hard and, you know, uh, uh, now his books are you know, getting published, even he is not, not concerned that to publish his books. He wrote, wrote many, many things and there were some, actually some of his writing was stolen. People don't know who was token, taken, but whatever I remained, somehow people now managing to publish amazing knowledge. So that actually, inshallah, I expected this. You know, after long, long time really, we have found a first person really who devoted his life to the Quran. And he wanted to understand the Quran not as a faqih, not as a philosopher, though he knows the fiqh. Not as a philosophy, philosopher, though he was expert of the Greek philosophy. He was so amazing, really. He wrote a, a, like a refutation of Greek philosophy. And he was a teacher of, of, of Greek philosophy. He knows Greek logic and philosophy. He knew Hebrew language. He knows so, so many things. But he did not like to read the Quran with the eye of a philosopher. He was a theologian. He knew Mu'atazal. He knew Ashari school. He knew that uh, people even in India accused him of being Mu'atazal, though he not. He really refused them so clearly. But he did not read the Quran with the eye of a Mu'atazal. Mutadili or with the Ayah of Ashari or Maturidi or anything. He wants to read the Quran as the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the messenger has received. He keeps emphasizing on that thing again again. To him really, he wanted to learn the Quran as an ummi, knowing nothing, though he knew many things. So and the, I, I don't really find somebody who devoted, you can't find him in the time of Rahmullah ta'ala, also in many good things in the Quran. And you know, I, I'm now writing commentary on his muqaddah of Yusul Tafsir, so I can see it. But in the time has so many things to do in the life. You know, his, and Kalam was his major thing, so, you know, his book, Tarot, Aql wa Naql, and many, many things he did, amazing things. So if you have so many different you know, disciplines, it's very dif difficult to focus. This man had nothing other than the Quran. Even when he wrote Arabic grammar in Urdu language, to make it easier, even then he had the Quran in his mind. And it's really amazing. And every single thing he has new thinking. Whatever he wrote, somehow it is connected with the Quran. He never wrote something without the Quran. The always Quran was his main focus. And actually he realized that, you know, at that moment, the problem of Muslim society is because they are away from the Quran. Quran is the guide. If people come to the Quran, they can be united and they can be guided. When they are away from the Quran, they will never can be guided. Guidance and victory, anything from Muslims comes only through the Quran. That was his absolute belief. So Mawana Farahi, his name was Hamiduddin. But as I mentioned, he is a humble person. 
to Hamiduddin Arabic language like, you know, like a title, like a sheriff, an honor. So he did not like to have a name with honor. So he changed his name as Abdul Hamid. To Abdul Hamid, humble name. So you can see in his books, the name is Abdul Hamid. People used to call him Shaykh and Allama and this and that. So he said to his students, no, when you publish my book, never put anything like that. Just put my, in front of my name. If you want to put anything, teacher, Al-Mu'allim. So early books have been printed like Al-Mu'allim, Abdul Hamid Al-Farahi. And Farahi is called because he's from a village in India. Actually, he's very close to my village. So we come from the same region that I knew him from very early time. So he's called Fariha. And Fariha, you know, he's Arabizing, he's become Farahi. So in that area, people have this, you know, way that always make names as Arabic. So like, you know, there is a small village there called Asarha. So Asarha means in Arabic language, in Urdu, rain and, you know, all those things. So people of that area, they call themselves Matari, Matar. From Matar, they are by the name. So, you know, a, any name comes, they make it Arabic. So, Mola Farahi name, you know, otherwise it's from Fariha, but you know, he named it. He was born uh, in the year 1863. In, in Arabic, if you want to, in Arabic calendar, he was, it was 1280. 1280. And according to Arabic calendar, he died in 1349. And that was 1930, according to, you know, Christian calendar, uh, you know, they are put it there, so you can. Uh, he was, you know, his family is well known. So from the father's side, he was from Ansari family, meaning with his, his uh, in, in ancestor somehow, somewhere, sometime in history, they came from Medina moving, moving until they settled there. So he's Ansari. So he's from a family of Abu Ayyub al-Sahir going back to the genealogy known to. So he's Ansari from his from the side of the father. From the mother's side, he's related to Maulana Shibri Nomani, one of the you know, great uh, uh, experts you know, in, in, uh, in India of Urdu, uh, Urdu literature. You know, and he's one of the founder of Nazrat uh, al-Ulama and you know, big man. Maulana Farai Rahimullah Ta'ala, he studied you know, in those days, people did not like to study one madrasa. They used to actually go travel where their experts are there. So, he, for example, for Persian language, he went to study with uh, Maulana Muhammad Farooq Chiraya Koti. Maulana Muhammad Farooq Chiraya Koti. To near to his town, so Maulana Muhammad Farooq was expert of Persian literature or Persian poetry. And Maulana Farahi learned it so much that he himself used to say poet, you know, poet poems in, in Persian language. And Mona Shibli said, once I took one of the poems of Farahi to my teacher Mona Farooq and asked him to read this and whose poem is this? To Mona Farooq, you know, he was expert in, the, in, in that time in India, there was nobody better in, in Persian poetry than him, Mona, Mona Farooq, a big man. And then after that, he was employed by Nazar Ulama to teach Farsi and Persian in, in, in Nazar Ulama. He was a very famous person. So Mona Farooq read a few times. He said, I don't remember the name of the poet at the moment, but it looks one of the classical early poet. So he said, then Mawashi was, I said to me, it is by Farahi. So Mawla Farahi was, even actually when he was a legal, Sir Sayyid Ahmad Khan asked many times to, you know, to read, write something in Persian poetry. He wrote, and he's also the one, you know, collection of his poem, poem have been published in, in, in Persian. So very good, you know, uh, poet. And he knew Diwan Hafid and Matanavi many, many times he read and he knew by heart. And he makes comment on them, them, them as well. And he has written a poem also to defend Hafid Shiradi because Hafid, uh, some people think, like Western people basically, you know, European people, they think Hafez Shiradi is a man of drinking wine and this and that. Mawla Farahi, many people think he just used wine and all those things. 
He was the last best teacher in the school of Farangi Mahal in India. And Farangi Mahal was you know, the major center of learning in India at least for 200 years. It's a very, very important center. It's so many books have been produced by that. Actually, once it used to be the best madrasa in India, Farangi Mahal. So, Muhammad Farangi Mahal was the last person. He was the best muhaddis. And many of his books have been published with the editing of Sheikh Abdul Fattah Uddha, Rahmullah, and many other people. So, he studied hadith there for a while. And then he went to Aligarh Muslim University and he studied there English literature. So he did BA in English literature. So you can see he knew Urdu properly, he learned Persian properly, he knew, learned Arabic, you know, he was very good, strong in Arabic language and I will tell later on. And then he, you know, studied, you know, English literature. So he did BA in English literature at that time. And that time English literature, BA was a big thing in India. So he did that. When he was there, there was some Orientalists who knew Hebrew language. So because Farahi was very keen to learn Quran properly and also to understand, the, you know, uh, you know, uh, the books of the Jews and Christians and their writings. So then he learned Hebrew as well there. So he learned Hebrew, Hebrew when he was an illegal. And he, he got in touch with many, many interests to understand what actually there are main objections against the Quran or things like that. One of the main things that he learned in illegal was that all the time the Orientalists keep saying the Quran is not coherent. Quran talks about divorce, the Quran talks about prayer, things, this, then nothing, no, nothing coherence in the Quran. So, Mawla Farahi was a humble person, he never should debate the people. But whenever people say something, it always he took in his mind, thinking, thinking. So, somehow he kept thinking about this matter. And Alhamdulillah, you know, it led him to many, many you know, good writings. So, one of the things, the idea he got is that Quran is a very, very coherent book. He says, first time, the coherence of the Quran appeared to me in Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Qasas. It becomes so clear to me, then I started thinking other surahs as well. Then I did uh, the read Quran from beginning to end in one year, whole year. Took one year to read from beginning to end, understand properly. And he was half of the Quran, he knew the Quran by heart. Anyway, he spent more than 30 years just basically doing research about the Quran. And he said that my family, my friend, they used this, you're wasting your time for something, nobody going to appreciate because he was a very clever person, intelligent person. He had done, if anything else, he would have been so much famous. But he just devoted himself to the Quran, nothing else. And whatever he wrote, amazing thing really what he had written. I will come to the uh, theory of coherence later on. But anything else what he done you know, about the Quran is you know, a same value. He wrote a book, Al-Ra'yu Sahih Fi Man Huwa Dhabih. Al-Ra'yu Sahih Fi Man Huwa Dhabih. Ibrahim has got two sons, Ishaq and Ismail. If you read the Bible, it will tell you the slaughter son of Ibrahim was Ishaq. Mawlana Farahi, he knew Bible so many times he read and he has his own notes on that and he knew other commentaries of the you know, people of the uh, Jewish people, he knows the Quran. He wrote this book to make very clear that it is evident from the Quran and from the Bible that the slaughtered son of Ibrahim was Ismail, not Ishaq. And he said, read the story from beginning in Bible, it is Ismail. When the name came, they changed name Ismail by Ishaq. Nothing else has been changed. Ibrahim has been commanded to slaughter his only son. He said, who will be the only son? 
if Ismail is Bible, Bible agrees, Ismail is the first one. Ismail is born, then Ishaq is born. If Ibrahim is commanded to slaughter his only son, it means that must have come command when Ismail was born, but Ishaq is not still born. Because Ishaq is born, then he is not only son, there are two sons. So, so many clear. But then, uh, contradict the Bible. Then people of the Bible say, no, the reason one listen is because Ishaq is born from Sarah, who was free, and Ismail is born from a slave, and she was not free. You know, they're making many, many stories. But in the Quran, actually, so you can see, if you read, and then actually, and the problem is in the Bible is, when Ishaq is born, then Ibrahim received a good tidings from, from him, from God, that from your son Ishaq, I will give such a big barakah and blessing, and his, his his descendants will fill the, the, the universe. There's so, such a big number. Tell him, Monafrahi said, if Ibrahim knows already, Ishaq is going to have family and children and his descendants will fill you know, the universe. So tell me, what, does it make any sense to ask Ibrahim to slaughter his son? Ibrahim knows Ishaq is going to grow. Ishaq is going to live in this world. Ishaq is going to marry. Ishaq is going to have children. So how Allah SWT commanded Ibrahim to slaughter his son Ishaq? But when Ismail is born, there is no good tiding. Ismail's good tiding only comes after slaughtering. So he collected all those verses from the Bible and from the Quran very clearly and is absolutely firm that, you know, if you read the book, it will really make you so certain that it is impossible Ishaq to be slaughtered. Because, you know, Jews know that all the major virtues in the, in the Bible are for the son who was slaughtered. They don't want that virtue for Arabs. So they wanted to make it for their own family. That's why they corrupted basically. The whole purpose is because they know if it is poor for Ismail, then Ismail will be chosen. They don't want that. They wanted to make their own family the most chosen one. So that's why they, they, they made corruption. So they say, Sir. Then actually in that book, Mona Farai also made research and make very clear in many, many verses in the Bible, command of God is that go for the, for the slaughtering of, uh, 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 of the animal, a big kurbani, a big slaughtering, and face direction of south. And people of Bible don't know why south. Mona Farahi insists basically for the major sacrifices, the command in Bible was to follow Ibrahim and to face his Qibla, the Kaaba. 